Welcome to the Finance and Investments Student Association's FISA Fireside Chats with Matthew and Oliver. Welcome back, everyone, to the FISA Fireside Chat with Matthew and Oliver. We're extremely grateful to have an amazing guest with us today, uh, Roger Daou, which is the current Chief Financial Officer at SAP Canada. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast, Roger. Thank you, Olivier. It's a, it's a pleasure to join you guys and, uh, and share my experience uh, on this platform. So, so why don't we get started with the classic question? Uh, you graduated from Concordia, so I, I, we'd love to hear a bit more about your path and how you ended up in such a successful uh, role at SAP. Uh, sure, thanks. It's been a very unusual path, I must, I must say. Uh, I started in, uh, in business school and I focused on accounting. I always thought having an accounting degree, having a, a, a professional designation in finance, accounting, would help me throughout my career. My, my ambition was not to be an accountant. My ambition was to be a business person. And, and having a good foundation in accounting, uh, business, for me, that I think was the key for a career in wherever life would bring me. So that was my, my that was the main reason to be an accountant, not to be an auditor, really to be a, a, a well-grounded, well-rounded, you know, uh, business person. So at Concordia, I did my my you know major in accounting, and I decided to pursue um, my professional designation and be a CGA. And back then. To be a CGA, you didn't. You did not need two years' experience in an audit firm. You needed business experience. Well, sorry, accounting experience in an industry, and where you do a lot of accounting. So, I was going to uh, work in a, an accounting, uh, you know, in the accounting department of a company or a firm. But as it happened back in ninety one, ninety two, uh, the economy was not doing very well. And there were there was there was a lack of jobs in accounting, and I ended up by coincidence seeing a an ad for for a salesperson at Concordia and at the in the hall building actually I still remember it was a, a position for investors group to be a mutual funds salesperson they called it financial advisor. So I went for the interview because I always had a you know I always wanted to be a salesperson. You know it's weird, but I always had this uh, curiosity for sales. I went for the interview and I actually liked it. And I was convinced by the manager to, to join Investors Group and be a, a, a commissioned salesperson. So that was, that was daunting and it was very scary because back then there was no base salary. 100% commission and you had to close a deal to get paid something, right? Uh, but, you know, I like challenge. I like um, I like I like the risk part of business, so I joined, and I put my accounting career on the side of it, and actually went into sales. I did it for three years. I loved it. Met a lot of people, and I, I also overcame a lot of. Uh, I, was, I was a pretty shy person. Now being in sales, you have to overcome that. You're always talking to new people, calling people, um, and and I became very comfortable. With, with dealing with the public. After three years, I decided, okay, it's time to change and get back into my accounting career. And I could not get an accounting designation without a, you know, the, the proper experience. So I found a job in a textile company as a controller. So 
left left investors group and went to this uh, this company, and it was a manufacturing company with you know full fledged you know production shipping a union like it was a perfect case course you know on on, on business. Um, I did it for two years, and while I was doing that, I was also doing my CGA exams, uh, and uh, and after two years, I had my my CGA experience. I got my professional title, and I decided to to leave this textile company because it was an hour and a half drive every day to go and an hour and a half to come back, very far. Um, left, went to work for Bombardier. Ended up working nine years at Bombardier. I loved it. I had a lot of good experiences. And I always ended up in those jobs where nobody wanted to go into. So at one point, I ended up in this business unit as a controller, but always looking after joint venture uh, opportunities. I went to China. I went all over the States um, and uh, worked on these uh, business scenarios for possible joint ventures. Some of them actually materialized. And that became my reputation over there. You know, he's good at joint ventures. He's good at, at business cases. And when I left that one particular department where I was doing that, I asked my colleagues in finance at the company, you guys want to replace me? Nobody wanted the job because they said, you got, you work too hard, right? They, they wanted to keep that back office type of accounting work. That was not my type. So... At Bombardier, I did many different jobs, different roles. Uh, I worked in the contracts department, uh, helping salespeople that were selling airplanes. Um, I, I worked a lot on the front end of the business in, in my different jobs. And after nine years, uh, you know, the, the, the Bombardier, you know, the company was not doing that well. You know, everybody knows the story of Bombardier. Uh, sales were, were dropping, profits were dropping. I, I thought about maybe changing roles and I went to see a, a recruiter in Montreal and he said, you know, I think I can help you out. Uh, give us some time. We'll, we'll call you if we find something that's, that's right for you. A month later, he calls me up and he says, uh, we found the perfect job for you. I'm there. Well, what is it? And he said, it's working for SAP. It's a software company. Now I knew SAP. A little bit because Bombardier was implementing SAP, although I never touched it because I was not involved, you know, in the pro on the project. So I looked up the company and I think I realized it's a big German company. It's very profitable. It's growing. I go, wow, that's the place to be. Now I never, never in my wildest dreams thought of working in software. I thought I'd spend my life in aerospace, you know, in some type of aerospace company. And so here I am, you know, looking at this job that's in software. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll take it up. I'll, I'll give it a, give it a try. I'll go for the interview. I went for the first interview and I was sold. And now I had to go to a second interview, third interview, fourth interview. And with every interview, I was like getting nervous because I really wanted the job. Finally, the last interview was with the CFO of SAP Canada, which, which I'm in now. And uh, I got the job. And uh, that was 16 years ago. So I started as a finance manager and worked my way up. And I became a CFO for, for the country, for, the, for you know, a billion-dollar business in Canada. Yeah, and, so maybe we, uh, we touch on that a little bit more. So obviously now you're 
now you're the CFO of SAP Canada. You've been at the company for for 16 years. So maybe you can touch a little bit more on your progression through the company and maybe like what what's something that has helped you climb the ladder over the years? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. And and I tell a lot of my friends, first of all, it, it ties into something that I believe is so important for everybody. And I, and I tell my kids to be resilient because in any if I was not resilient, I would never be where I am. Uh, you know, I, a lot of times I ended up in, in places I never thought I'd be in. I, I never thought I'd be in sales out of school. And then in, in a textile company, then aerospace, and then software. But it's all it's not about being resilient and being able to adapt to different in- industries, different people that you meet, uh, and, and being flexible, right? And... So how did I end up here? And the actual the actual first job I had out of Concordia in sales helped me be a good um, good accountant towards and working with salespeople. I was always able to be that person that understands the salespeople, whether at Bombardier, whether at the textile company, and especially at SAP. I work a lot with the salespeople, and I understand how they work, what the, the stress they're under. I just have an empathy for it, for that type of role, maybe more than other accountants that I work with because I was exposed myself in sales. And so I never, you know, never undermine a, a job because it comes back somewhere in your life and it gives you that advantage. Uh, and it gave me such a big advantage at SAP. I became the CFO, you know, because, and as a CFO of, of this business, it's mainly working with the, the field, which is the, the the front line of the company, the salespeople, the customers. Um, it's very front office. So so having the skill, you know, from an early you know age, helped me stand out with my you know the you know with my you know between my competitors amongst my competitors uh, in, in Toronto or Canada, and I was able to get uh, this job. Yeah, that's that's great. And maybe just to, to keep going on, on on that, I'm I'm curious to hear about your day to day as a as a CFO. When we think about CFO of public companies, we think about people kind of selling the companies to investors. Is that what you do on a day to day basis, or it's no. a bit different? And and maybe like, are you talking with the COO like a lot of the times? And maybe just walk us through your day to day. I'm I'm curious to hear about that. Sure, sure. So. <clears throat> They, my day to day changes every day, <laughs> depending on on the emergency. But the job of a CFO is very different, depending on on where you work, on the industry, and the type of of setup you have. Like in my case, I'm the CFO of a division of a global public company. So of course, I'm not the one who meets the analysts every quarter to talk about the results of SAP. That's done by the CFO at the head office uh, in Germany. So as a division CFO, I'm I'm more involved with the day-to-day operation, uh, the financial health of the company, uh, compliance, data protection, uh, internal audit, external audit, uh, taxes, cash, um, and and making sure we we attain our our budget set up for the year. So I work with this, and I work with the COO a lot. So the COO looks after the operation of the business. Uh, he has all the pre-sales people, all the people that assist, you know, in, in the sales operation, 
um, in reports on the sales on uh, on the different metrics that we that we measure. I as CFO, I look more this as a you know more into the financial aspect of the business. Now it, it works. I work hand in hand with the president and the COO because everything is financial in the end. So when it's there's a special deal to be approved, uh, I'm involved from a financial perspective. A resolution of an issue with a customer when it's a financial issue to be resolved, I get involved. Uh, I, I'm less involved in setting up the day-to-day -day structure of the sales teams and, and giving their quotas. That's more the COO. I'll be more on the on the financial side of things, you know, to make sure things are set up properly, to make sure uh, the different metrics are, are met. Yeah, and maybe maybe just to add some context, uh, could you could you sort of explain what SAP is? Given that it's become over the years like such a like integral part of so many so many businesses. Sure, SAP. So they they started fifty years ago in Germany as a um, a, a software company to address the needs of finance of accountants actually. Um, and that, that was the heart of you know ERP. And it was made, it was developed for companies that were international in scope and had different divisions within Europe. And when you remember back then, every country had their own uh currency. Hmm. Whereas today it's all euro dollars, right? Before every you know, France, England, Germany, so they all had different currencies. And when you had to consolidate, it was it was a lot of work, it was hard for the accountants. Yet foreign exchange with every country that you're dealing with, whereas with a good system that was able to you know consider foreign exchange and do consolidation much easier. So that's where it started. So it started as a as a you know module for for finance for accountants, and then over time it grew into what it is today, which is addressing every aspect of a business. It just helps you know their 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 line is they help companies run better. So from from the front end to the back end to inventory to you know having a company giving them the ability to go online uh, and offer online services uh supply chain you name it any any part of the business and in every industry we have solutions so it, it's become a, just a a software for every type of business to use and in Canada now almost every major company uses SAP to some extent um, the banks, oil companies, manufacturing companies, uh, grocery stores, like you, all the main grocery stores, for example, use SAP, uh, mining companies. Uh, so you name it. We're, we're, in, like, we're in every industry. So it's become a, a very, very important company in, uh, in, in that space. That's yeah, so I was going to say, because over my time at Concordia, I've, like I've seen it like more and more, even though, you know, coming into business school, maybe you, it's something that you hear less about. But as like as you learn more, like uh, like about business, you understand how important it is and how such a key aspect it is like in in every business. And it's starting to be integrated into a lot of our classes. And we're, like we see a lot of people taking courses on it on the side. So I think that like, even as a job candidate, I think it makes you like a much more attractive candidate to have you know a little bit of a fundamental uh understanding of it before you enter a job even out of school. It's very true, very true. And my my son tells me the same thing. He, he's 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 twenty four, and he said that when you started at, at SAP, like my friends did not hear about SAP. 
And now it, we, everyone knows it seems to be more popular. It's, it's, it's. I guess it's, it's more now, you know, established within the industry, within the, you know, the economy in Canada, um, and more kids hear about it. I'm just curious. Maybe could you define what ERP means, just for the, just for the students a little bit? Like it's a sure. term we hear a lot, but like it's hard to to visualize a, a little bit. It's it means enterprise resource planning. So it it just means it, it helps the company. An ERP is it, it's it's a basic you know, acronym, but it really what it means is a system that is for finance, for your procurement part, for your shipping, for your inventory control. So it's really planning your resources, planning your you know your enterprise, your business, uh, your supply chain, your treasury functions, your billing, your invoicing, right? Um, so it's the heart of your business. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. We, I know we discussed it a bit before the, the call, but I'm curious to see how do you, you guys integrate uh, ESG into that and how is it aligned with the vision of, uh, of SAP? It seemed to be, uh, to be super important. So I'd like to, to give your view on this. We hear it, we hear it every day at school nowadays. So I think it's, it's definitely crucial. Yeah. ESG has become a, a very, very hot topic and, I've been to a few symposium on that by the IFRS. It's it's going to become you know uh, standard very soon I mean, before even two years from now. And so ESG is enterprise. Uh, sorry, environmental, social governance. Uh, it's it's about sustainability. Now at SAP, that has become as of last year one of, one of the three strategic pillars for the company. It's to provide. Uh, customers with that new metric, you know, the ESG metric. And a metric is what you measure, right? What's important in a business. It could be sales. It could be number of customers. It could be, you know, uh, percentage of diversity, uh, gender parity. It's whatever you think is important. Now, we call it the green line for ESG because instead instead of, you know, the blue line for revenues, black line for profits, Green line is the, the new metric that we define for ESG. And it's so important for all our customers that it's not important for our company. And a lot of our solutions will have capabilities to provide customers a, a way to measure whatever is important on the ESG space. So there's functionalities now that will be provided and they they're already, ha- already have some and new ones are being built to, uh, to help customers on reporting on that aspect and it's all about data right uh and we have all the data uh, customers use our systems to have data to measure and do business esg uh, you need to have data to be able to to measure and and know what's going on and it, it could be something as you know simple but complicated in terms of your supply chain how do you how do you pick your suppliers that are also esg compliant uh, how do you make decisions as a manager, you know, in production? You know, do you choose uh, a production run in your plant in in Taiwan versus Montreal? And now cost accountants know the cost of things. So we know the margin, we know the profits on any production. Cost accountants right now do not know the cost of EA from an ESG perspective. And that's the new... The, that's the new, uh, I guess, 
element that will be coming in, the new dimension will be not just, this is my profit cash-wise, what's my profit ESG-wise, you know? What's my cost ESG-wise? And if that comes with, with you know, real measurements, data that's real and measurable, then people can make decisions on that and and provide even the shareholders with information. Like we could, you, you could say, uh, Mr. Shareholder or Mrs. Shareholder, you got 20% margin instead of 50, but we saved X tons of, you know, carbon. And that's what you want, isn't it? And if it's not, okay, well, we'll pollute more. And this is how much pollution will we'll do more. And we'll give you more profit. Like, which one do you want, right? So it's a balancing act, of course, uh, in everything. But if it's measured, people can make decisions. And that's what we, we, you know, SAP will be able able to provide their customers. Yeah, and I, you must be seeing like a ton more demand, especially from a lot of your public clients in terms of of ESG reporting. Because you did much all obviously you've seen a lot of sustainability funds pop up, a lot of like a lot of the pension funds and larger institutional managers are integrating ESG frameworks into into their processes. So have yeah. have you seen like a like a large uptake? Or, or a lot of interest from maybe your, your yeah. public clients for some sort like a sort of ESG uh like ESG part to uh for SAP that they can integrate into their companies? It, it's a uh, it's all new, right? So a lot yeah. of a lot of our customers, a lot of like our salespeople now are, are when they talk about certain solutions, they bring in ESG because they'll say this this platform will enable you to also have you know data for your ESG. This will so we we start talking about some of these solutions and how we could help the customer. All the CFOs now of public companies, you know, they're they're thinking ESG because they have to start reporting at one point on ESG and it's on top of their mind, whether they tell us or not. It's something they're all reading about. They know it's coming. And as as an accountant, as a CPA, you know, from what I read on the in your on in on the accounting front it's huge it's how do you measure things how do you audit i mean the auditors are, go are going to have to set up standards on auditing esg uh data it has to be measurable it has to be defined you know what is esg what is not esg what is an estimate if it's an estimate you know what's a what's a reliable estimate so i mean there's a whole field that is opening up on ESG from a, from the auditor perspective, from a reporting perspective, uh, the accounting uh, you know body, a CPA body, they're working a lot on those. Like how how do we report that stuff? Is it in the notes? Is it in the financial statements? Is it in the balance sheet? Is it just just you know paragraphs that you add and you describe what you're doing? Uh, there's so much, there's so much still being figured out. So as a CFO, you're you're thinking already. Okay, well. When this comes down, like, are we ready? Uh, do we have good data, you know, management? Are we able to, you know, do we have like legacy systems that don't speak to each other and we'll never be, we won't be able to get the information that we need? Or do we have a, a top-notch system that is, you know, uh, across the industry, across sorry, the company, and they're able to, to pull information easily, right? Um, so it's it's, yeah, it's on top of everybody's mind. And maybe like some, because sometimes, uh, well, Matthew and I are on an investment fund at the school and sometimes 
our framework lacks for smaller companies. Do you have a timeline for like how long do you think it's going to take for these companies to kind of adopt the same ESGs? like methods like to calculate their emissions or like do you see a lot of reluctance from these smaller companies because no. they don't have the the same capital yeah but not really I, I, it's hard to i mean it's all new but you know what i was on a on a call with uh, a senior vice president of a company in the states um and they they produce copper wiring they're one of the biggest copper wire producers in, in north america and she was telling me her company is completely family-owned, completely private, yet it's been 10 years that they care so much about ESG. They already have reports on ESG, they're, and they're doing all the right steps that will be mandated soon. And they're private, but it's still, you know. So a lot of private companies are embarking. Now, this is a big one. Uh, smaller companies will... Some of them might complain that, you know, there's extra cost involved because for sure it, it, they might have to change systems. They might have to hire people. There's a cost involved. We'll, we'll see only with some time what happens. You know, there might be some pushback from these small companies that will want more time before they get to that, you know, an ESG uh, standard. They might try to push out the, the legal requirements. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But uh but the market is also pushing it. So if you're a smaller company, you might need to be ESG compliant. If you want to market yourself, if you want to sell your product, more and more people will want that, right? Um, if you're a small company, but you're a supplier to a big company, guess what? So if a big yeah. company is ESG yeah, compliant, sense. yeah, they're going to have to buy from suppliers that are ESG compliant as part of their total overall ESG compliancy. So if you're a small small company, you know, a $2 million company, well, if you want to sell to the bigger company, you know, up the chain, you might need to be compliant. You might be forced to do it, right? So it's, it's going to be hard to uh, to escape. No, even but even for these companies, I mean, like obviously the cost of the cost of auditing and and reporting on ESG, we we spoke about is a lot higher than auditing, you know, their financial statements, given that you know, sort of low supply in terms of people who have the know-how right now on, on how to do it versus the demand of companies that are looking for it. So I, like, do you, do you see that? Do you see a lot of pushback in terms of costs for the smaller companies to like to go forward and, and get these, like these ESG disclosures? Uh, no, I haven't seen any yet. Uh, you know, when we talk about smaller companies, I've seen smaller companies do business with us that, you know, sometimes they would push off doing, you know, having a new digital platform, the latest ERP with SAP, but because of cost, right? But what happened now with COVID, a lot of, a lot of those companies know they have to, you know, advance their strategy of, you know, changing their, the way they do business and go more digital, have more agility in, in the way they, they run their operation because of competition, because more and more companies, you know, do things online, right? Uh, people work remotely. Uh, you need to have good systems if you if you have your employees work remote. You need to have the cybersecurity in place. You need to have, you know, if you want to sell online, more and more companies sell online. You better have the ability to sell online. So if you don't, the competitors will will get to you, right? So even the smaller companies that were not willing to spend the money 
and, and go digital and, and change the platforms, they see the need for that, mm-hmm. but even without ESG. So they're, 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 they're changing. ESG will be, just be another uh, requirement. And if they have a good system, it won't be as hard for them to, to adapt. It's all about, it's all going to be about having data, right? So yeah, exactly. you need That's good systems to have data. If you have data, the right data, then you, you can you can make the right decisions, you can report on it, you can decide you know how you want to run your business. But the key is data and that, that's reliable, right? And and timely because you don't want to have a system that tells you, okay, this is the this is your the result, ESG or profit or whatever it is, three months later. It needs to be like much quicker. Yeah, it's it's sort of a two-part like challenge. You need to get the the right data from the companies, and then you need to get the right people to analyze this data if it makes sense or or not. And maybe just the in in the question well, of time, that's that's legit, right? So yeah, well, that's the thing. And then you need investors that understand that that data as well to make yeah. informed decisions. So it's actually there's like three parties. So no, it's it's interesting. But I, I think solutions like the one that SAP are, are putting out there are putting out there are going to make a huge difference. And I'll yeah. just uh, maybe in, for, for time purposes, I mean, you've shown a lot of uh, res- resiliency in your in your career with the different roles that you've had. And obviously you took some some jobs that you didn't expect taking, but you ended up in, in different roles that really help you uh, grow and, and lend successful roles. So I was just curious, if, if you were to restart, would you change anything or do you have any tips for maybe students in this, uh, in this day and age coming out of... Uh, of school to hope to have a successful career like like yours yeah well one tip would be to be open i mean the, the market changes every year every five years the, you know the type of jobs available and sometimes it goes it changes faster than we think because of external factors like covid right covid the war in, in, in europe uh inflation so things are changing uh, the way people shop change, the way people work change, right? Well, the way we saw the world five years ago is very different now. Uh, the challenges are very different now. So it's really to be flexible and and try to do, if you have a career path, follow it, but try to follow something that you love, that you really are passionate for. Like within that industry, within that work, you know? So like in my case, I love business. Uh, and I love sales within business. So I, I was not afraid to try sales, even though it was not your typical accounting job. Don't let your 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 background, like you see your your bachelor's dictate, you know, your career path. It, it's a it's a good base for many things. I mean, they can't give you a bachelor's in you know a hundred different areas. Of course, it's going to be like finance, accounting, you know, your standards, your classics. But then use that and, and follow like you know something that if you have a passion for something, follow that within your field, your broader field, and and don't, and don't think oh my god you know I'm not doing this or not. It don't worry about what your friends are doing. You know worry about what you like to do within your field, and you'll see you'll stand out because of that. And the minute you stand out, everything opens up. And and, it, and, it, and it's just because you love what you're doing more than somebody else. So that that's so important. I, I always had fun. I never worked. 
I don't see my job as work. You know, people say, why are you laughing all the time and smiling? Well, I I do what I do because I love it, right? And I was true to myself and what I like to do. And I, for the past 16 years at SAP, I never saw it as a job. I mean, it's a job. But I wake up in the morning, I, I want to go to work. I love it, right? Um, it, it's never been, oh, my God, what a, you know, it's, it's boring. I don't like it. I love my job. And when you love your job, you don't see it as a job. You see it as, you know, it, it's like a hobby almost. Uh, so it's very important. That's my, you know, my two cents. Do something you like, go within something you really like. Uh, be flexible and take chances. And while you're young, you can take more chances because, you know, you're, you're young. It's easy to take chances. You don't have a whole family, you know, three kids, four kids, a house, a mortgage. Like you have usually more opportunities to to be flexible. Yeah, those are those are some amazing points, and I think I think a lot of us can benefit from from listening to your advice. So, anyways, Roger, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, you know, sharing your insights and and your experience in the industry. I think I think it was an extremely interesting discussion. And uh, yeah, we, I mean, I know we discussed uh, we discussed potentially doing a part two episode. I think a lot of people would enjoy that as well. So we'll we'll keep in touch. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much, Roger. Thank you.